0: Welcome. Welcome, listeners, to Functionally Speaking. I'm your host, DJ Moran, and thanks for joining me. In this podcast, I interview Brandon Gaudiano. He's an assistant professor of psychiatry and human behavior at Brown University, and he is also the author of a new book titled Incorporating Mindfulness and Acceptance into the Treatment of Psychosis, Current Trends and Future Directions. It is available now, so if you treat individuals with serious mental illness... I highly recommend reading this book. And if you're going to buy it on Amazon, don't forget to click through the ACBS website so some portion of Amazon's profits can get donated back to our nonprofit organization. Brandon is a gift to the ACT world. He's done a remarkable amount of impressive research. I've put a link to his university page so that you can download some of his full-text articles on bipolar disorder, depression, Psychosis, among many other important concerns in behavioral health. He has a great deal to say about the state of research in ACT, and we talk about the finer considerations that we sometimes need to have when treating individuals with serious mental illness. Check it out. <laughs> I'm joined here with Brandon Gaudiano, who wrote a book called Incorporating Acceptance and Mindfulness into the Treatment of Psychosis, Current Trends and Future Directions. Welcome to Functionally Speaking, Brandon.
1: Thanks, uh, DJ. Uh, Glad to be
0: here. And I'm wondering, how did you originally become interested in the topic of mindfulness interventions for psychosis?
1: Yeah, I, um, I mean, it really started in graduate school. It's where I first started doing this work. Um, actually, I, uh, you know, uh, believe it or not, it was, it started actually at the Beck Institute in Philadelphia. So I was going to school at Drexel University and uh, we were doing some trainings, uh, with Dr. Beck, uh, at the Beck Institute. And, uh, one of the times that I was over there, he was really excited. He, I think he just gotten back from a trip from Europe. Uh, a conference where they were talking a lot about uh, the newer CBT uh, interventions for psychosis, so cognitive behavioral therapy um, being applied to psychosis, the more traditional uh, approaches that we're all familiar with, and um, that really intrigued me, and I I know at the time there wasn't still a lot of work being done in the U.S. um, on that topic, so um, I was doing a clinical placement at partial hospital uh, practice, working with patients with psychosis and severe mental illness. And um, so I started uh, applying some of the techniques, learning them, um, doing some preliminary feasibility research there. And so that was sort of my initial foray uh, into working with that population with these types of interventions. And it was actually that um, learning um, about the early act for psychosis study shortly after that. Um, that was published in uh, the Journal of Consulting and Clinical Psychology with uh, Patty Bach and Steve Hayes uh, showing that act, um, you know, was also an approach that could be effective right. uh, for inpatients with psychosis.
0: Right. That was a landmark article. I think that was the first randomized controlled trial of acceptance commitment therapy.
1: It was right. So it was very early on, and um, you know, learning about that actually working with my uh, graduate mentor uh, James Herbert, um, who also. Uh, had been involved in sort of the developments, uh, you know, in ACT early on, thought this would be a great um, thing to do some work on here uh, at the panelist in Philadelphia. So I chose that for my dissertation study and sort of really started immersing myself in that. Um, We uh, were really intrigued by the results, thought they were really fantastic, and wouldn't it be interesting to see if we could uh, replicate and extend them um, you know, independently uh, in, a, in a very different uh, part of the country, um, you know, different hospital, uh, different patient populations. So uh, we conducted a study um, in Philadelphia in a hospital there, um, center city. And uh, really, uh, you know, there were differences in, in methodology, of course, and population and, and things like that. But overall, we found um, very similar findings that there were a number of uh, potential benefits that we could see compared to treatment as usual, okay. um, include, you know, so that, that sort of really is, is where uh, my initial work was, and I've sort of been continuing along, uh, you know, uh, from that point.
0: Yeah, neat. I, I really, you know, like the idea that uh, the ACT community at large is very interested in empirically supported treatments, and you're doing the experiments. I'm wondering if you could briefly summarize the evidence currently supporting using mindfulness interventions with individuals with psychosis.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there have been a number of um, other studies that have been done uh, since the study that I did and the study that Patty Bach did. Um, and uh, overall, um, we're starting to see, um, you know, various sort of mindfulness and acceptance based interventions being studied, um, not just ACT. Um, so there are other uh, types of interventions that fit within a similar family that have been studied, and uh, initial research, again, is supportive of that. Right now, there's mainly um, uh, the most evidence for acts specifically for psychosis because of some of these early studies that I referenced, and uh, it is showing up on a peer supported treatment list uh, by the American Psychological Association, by SAMHSA, uh, within the Veterans Administration in the U.S., and... Um, and uh, because there are sort of uh, various applications to both inpatients and outpatients, where we've studied uh, this approach, and you know there does seem to be uh, evidence that it's feasible, it's it's safe, it's uh, effective for patients. Um, right. Although there's a lot more that we need to know and need to. more studies that have been conducted to date. But so far, so good things uh, seem to be moving along the right track for the research.
0: Well, you made a a good point there that I just want to follow up on. What's the difference? I mean, you're saying that there's more research on the CBT approach um, than maybe the other mindfulness interventions. How do the mindfulness interventions differ from the CBT therapies for psychosis?
1: Right, and that's something that a lot of people, you know, can – can be unclear about. A lot of clinicians aren't exactly sure because, um, admittedly, there's a lot of uh, overlap because, you know, ACT and other mindfulness approaches often fit within a, a broad definition of cognitive behavior therapy. So that's why I sort of, when I make the distinctions, I always focus on sort of this idea of more traditional cognitive therapy approaches versus the more mindfulness and acceptance approaches. And i would say the main difference is that for the traditional cognitive therapy approaches, those really... Came from the or developed in the premise uh, an understanding that people with psychosis often exhibit a lot of cognitive biases, right? A lot of information processing um, uh, problems. Sure. That, right, that the idea is that using traditional cognitive techniques can help to correct uh, over time. Okay. So people might jump to conclusions, they might overgeneralize those kinds of processes might be related to um, psychotic experiences, such as paranoia or misinterpreting um, thoughts as hallucinations, and that using traditional cognitive therapy techniques of, um, you know, behavioral experiments and weighing the evidence and um, sort of looking for uh, contradictory evidence to the belief will help to change it over time. Right. In contrast, the newer mindfulness and acceptance um, interventions may really focus much more on um, the idea that not that that's necessarily uh, an incorrect uh, way to approach it, that that can be effective, but there are other ways to um, also consider um, working with people with psychotic experiences. And so the mindfulness and acceptance approach tends to focus more on being uh, non-judgmentally aware of these experiences, less reactive to them, um, acknowledging them but not getting sucked into them. And I think that um, by using techniques like that that can help to foster that kind of process, that that can help people with psychosis to have less impairment, to function better, um, to do the things that they really uh, value and are meaningful to them. So, that the psychotic experiences you don't interfere as much, and um, uh, instead of sort of directly trying to uh, change them, like you would traditional cognitive
0: therapy. Understood. Understood. So, can you, can you give me a sense on how therapists can implement a mindfulness intervention for the patient's experience psychosis? How would that work?
1: Well, I think that, you know, that as as with sort of, uh, you know, other CBT approaches, there are a number of different techniques that can be considered. And certainly from an ACT approach, um, even though the techniques often have to be adapted um, to make them fit well uh, or fit, uh, more appropriately for people with, um, you know, psychotic experiences, they really are very similar in terms of looking at diffusion techniques, looking at values, uh, clarification techniques. Uh, willingness, uh, building um, strategies, and of course, uh, mindfulness and meditation type practices that could all foster this type of um, uh, changing the relationship that the patient has with these psychotic experiences so that they interfere less.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. Interesting. Are there any differences in the way mindfulness techniques are used for psychosis compared to other types of pipe populations where people are applying mindfulness techniques?
1: Yeah, there are. I mean, I think you do, you know, they don't necessarily always look the same. Um, you know, you do have to make some, some adaptations. Um, so for example, um, probably the, the biggest area where there's discussion of making adaptations is with using, um, more formal, um, meditation practices with this population. So, there is a, um, uh, you know, in the literature, there are uh, good case reports, although it does seem to be this phenomenon where certain um, individuals with, say, psychotic experiences that are too severe or even things like uh, PTSD or trauma, that an intensive, um, uh, you know, long-term meditation uh, exercise might actually be counterproductive. So. And I think that kind of makes sense when you think about it because if someone is very internally focused and has a difficulty engaging, you know, with the world around them because of, say, true a psychotic experience that they're having, that it wouldn't necessarily make a lot of sense clinically to have the person focus a lot internally and to kind of turn inward so much. And so that's why when we apply these techniques, um, to people with psychosis, we have to be careful about that. And, and that's one of the things that in the book, um, uh, you know, some of the work of, of Paul Chapman uh, and colleagues in uh, the UK has done a lot on making sure that meditation uh, experiences and, and techniques can be applied in a way that is safe and effective for people. And so that, that often means making simple modifications. So perhaps doing an eyes-open meditation practice versus an eyes-closed uh, keeping the, uh, uh, exercise, uh, briefer. So right. only doing it, say, for five minutes or so at a time instead of a longer, you know, let's say half hour meditation practice. Um, while the meditation practice is, um, ongoing, having the therapist help by, um, uh, talking more and kind of helping the person to stay engaged, you know, with the present moment to their instructions, right. then you might use Leave a lot of silence for maybe working with somebody with anxiety or or
0: depression or something like that you might need more space gotcha gotcha i used to work for an organization called trinity services and um they did an excellent job um doing group psychotherapy for the individuals who lived on their community integrated living arrangements or SILAs or you might want to call them halfway houses for you know some other folks might look at it that way and um what what they did in group was they were, like, listening to a song together, mm-hmm. and it, so it's just going to be a three-minute mindful exercise, but can you pay attention to the song um, in such a way that uh, if you get some kind of external distraction or thoughts about the song that you're listening to, can you notice that those things are happening? Are they just kind of taking mindfulness exercises and... Uh, simplifying them, making them interesting. And I just thought that that was one good addition uh, that one particular therapist used to teach mindfulness to individuals who are diagnosed with some kind of psychosis disorder.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that's, um, you know, that's a lot of the techniques that we use in terms of making it a, an active mindfulness practice. So for example, um, you know, doing a mindfulness to eating exercise, right? So using uh, an activity where you could do mindful walking, We use this a lot on the um, inpatient unit where I work now, right. patients with psychosis. So they're, they're often experiencing you know, very severe symptoms and um, uh, have difficulties engaging with some of the traditional practices. So we often modify them and, and uh, the other therapists modify them, like, like you're saying, in a way to kind of make it more active and engaged, but still foster that mindfulness process.
0: Right, right. Yeah, neat. I know that one particular issue came up years ago when I was supervising uh, someone running a group of acceptance commitment therapy for individuals with psychosis. And she used a, one of my supervisees used a metaphor to teach willingness in group, she got it from the 1999 book, and uh, she tried to teach willingness by using Joe the Bum. The metaphor from 1999 which i think would was a um just an unfortunate mistake on her point because some of the folks who were dealing with psychosis were also uh, previously undomiciled individuals were homeless so we have to be careful that sometimes when we apply acceptance of commitment therapy we have to be culturally sensitive to, uh, to, to folks, and uh, you have to be aware of these kinds of things when you're working with individuals with psychosis as well. We have to make sure that the metaphors, uh, the exercises are going to be embraced by our clients and, and not cause even further concerns.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that, that one of the um, you know things that maybe sometimes when people start learning these techniques you know, they tend to emphasize these, you know, the particular metaphor or the particular technique and uh, misunderstand that, that sort of that's the way it has to be done. And I think you're exactly right. What we find, especially working patients with severe mental illness, is that you have to be very sensitive to their particular needs and concerns. And what you want to do is pick the types of exercises that, that uh, speak the most to their experience, that they can um, engage with more, that that, So it makes sense for them and to be flexible, like you're saying, in the way that you're doing that and sensitive because you want to really focus also on maintaining that rapport and working with the patient so that they feel safe and uh, connected, uh, you know, in therapy experience.
0: Excellent advice. Something to strongly consider uh, when you're applying acceptance commitment therapy, make sure that the client is going to resonate with the approach that you're taking on along the same lines. Um, are there any contraindications or things to be cautious about when using mindfulness interventions for psychosis?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty much sort of what we've been talking about, which is that uh, you know these intensive meditation practices can sometimes be counterproductive, um, and this is based on reports that have been around in literature for a long time, of even uh, of, of the case of, of people not necessarily with a psychotic disorder, but these intensive meditators who spend hours or days meditating, uh sort of in sort of a sensory deprivation type experience where uh, you know, they reported even sort of developing their own psychotic uh, experiences right. or psychotic-like experiences as a result of that. So those are very different than what we actually would do uh, in ACT or, or in uh, any other kind of modern uh, psychosocial approach to psychosis. But you do have to be careful about, you know, making sure that the person, you know, monitoring them during the process to make sure they're staying engaged. Also, like you said, it's important when you're working with people with, let's say, paranoia or delusions that you don't, um, You know, use the techniques um, in any way that that could be perceived as uh, sort of discounting their experience or um, not acknowledging their experience. So that that would really be the last thing you'd want to do. So um, I think being sensitive to that as well um, is really important. So even using a diffusion technique, um, you know, it's important to communicate that this is not about. Um, sort of invalidating that experience that the person is having. It's just sort of helping them to maybe interact with it in a way that, um, you know, that they might find helpful in certain
0: situations. Great points. I really appreciate your wisdom on this. Before we wrap up, I just want to ask you one more question. What do you think the future holds for these interventions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the future is, uh, you know, is, is, is very broad in terms of where we're going with these things. They seem to be increasingly popular among clinicians and patients. Um, I think that, you know, hopefully a lot more research is going to come out to clarify some of these questions that we have. So, for example, right now we're not really sure. In general, there are a number of different psychosocial approaches for psychosis that have been found to be effective, but we don't really know as well how to use them most effectively Um, and personalize them. So, you know, what type of patient might benefit more from one psychosocial approach versus another? What might be the relative strengths or weaknesses of different approaches? Um, So I think the more that we do research in these areas, we're going to clarify that. And also what we'll clarify and what we need to understand better are sort of what are the mechanisms, the treatment mechanisms by which these approaches are having an effect. So, Um, you know, whether it's ACT or whether it's traditional CBT, we don't always know well, you know, what are the most important driving factors that are responsible for the improvement. Are they similar between traditional CBT and ACT or are they somewhat different uh, or are they a mixture of of both of those things? So I think that also, um, you know, is an emerging area. And finally, I think that we need a lot more work done on helping to train uh, clinicians and to help them to um, be able to implement and disseminate uh, these types of approaches like act and other mindfulness approaches for psychosis in a uh, responsible and evidence-based way. So right now there's still on, on gaps in terms of our training uh, and availability
0: of that. Okay. Yeah. Things to think about. Excellent. I really appreciate uh, your viewpoint on that. And uh, Brandon, you're really I'm. – I'm just – Grateful for your contribution, not only to this podcast, but to the scientific literature uh, with your research and your new book, Incorporating Acceptance and Mindfulness into the Treatment of Psychosis. Thanks for talking to me today. I really do appreciate it. It
1: was my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Take care, Brandon.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: So if you are interested in the treatment of psychosis, check out Brandon's new book, Incorporating mindfulness and acceptance into the treatment of psychosis, current trends, and future directions. And I want to let you know about the next podcast. It's very rare that I'll hype up what's coming next in Functionally Speaking, but I'm pretty excited about this one. I interview a psychologist working in Afghanistan in the mental health clinics, trying to reduce suffering and improve quality of living under those circumstances. I really like talking to this gentleman and I think you will be interested in hearing what he has to say. Until next time, be well.